lovely listeners. And welcome to this week's episode of How Do You Do? So this week we are interviewing Holly Harris, who is Editorial and Media Development Director at Penguin Random House. And I think this is a great episode if you're interested in publishing. Holly has worked on the notorious book Feminists Don't Wear Pink. So she works a lot on 16 plus and young adult nonfiction. Have you read it, Flo? I have read it and I was really lucky. I got to work on it with her last year. So I got to work with her and Scarlett Curtis, name drop, who was the curator of the book, to try and adapt it into TV formats or potential podcast formats or things like that. Um, And it was really exciting and Holly's amazing and I think it's going to be a great episode. Yeah, hope you enjoy it. Hi, Holly. Hello. Hi. (laughs) Welcome. To our podcast, how do you do? Thank you so much for having me. I'm very well, thank, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. On a hot summer's day. Very hot summer's day. I'm melting in the corner. These two are doing okay and I'm just <laughs> curled up in the corner. Um, so, let's start. Let's begin. I'll begin with, so Holly, what do you do? I am an editor at Penguin Random House and I publish books. Fantastic. And our next question is, mm-hmm. how do you do it? Oh my God, I have no idea how to answer that. So, my job involves... Um, kind of seeing a book all the way from um, an idea to a finished product and almost beyond as well. So the way I work is about half of my books are bought from agented submissions and then the other half are ideas that we generate internally. Mm -hmm. And um, so I will come up with an idea, pitch an idea internally to our acquisitions team then I will try and find an author for it, or if there's an author in mind, try and get them to do it. And then I will help them write the book and edit the book. And then as an editor, you're kind of the hub for all the other activity that happens around the book. So that's designing the cover, um, giving the sales team all that they need to get it into the right shops, uh, working with the publicity and marketing teams, and I guess most crucially being the point of contact for the author all the way through as well. Cool. And that's really interesting to kind of see it as like a very collaborative job. It sounds like it's super collaborative, your job. And I always see kind of writing or publishing maybe as something that's quite solitary. Like definitely like you kind of when you think of books, you think of like an author and it's kind of all their idea and their vision. But like mm. that sounds like it's a really amazing collaborative job, which sounds cool. Yeah, I hadn't realised yeah. that that's what a publisher does. Mm. I mean, everybody does it a bit differently and all editors are at heart kind of nerdy bookworms who don't really like doing anything other than reading. Mm. But um, yeah, it is a massively um, team-oriented job, mm. which is one of the best things about it, probably. Multi-talented. That's you. <laughs> uh, no, I'm afraid that's not me. <laughs> that's the rest of the team. And um, what does your average day look like? It looks like a lot of meetings, um, which also surprises people, I think. I think mm. people think that we kind of sit in dusty libraries and think great thoughts, but I've never done either of those things. <laughs> um, I uh, meet with authors and agents and also in my new role, kind of producers and various talent managers as well. And uh, that will often involve me being late to my desk. But, um, you know, it's part of the, that's part of the thing. It's one mm. of the parts of the job. Uh, so then we have a kind of core structure of meetings that we have to have all the time and we have to be there to champion our books mm. at Penguin. And um, then there's, you know, all the standard boring things. It's just a lot of email and forgetting to reply to emails and catching up on emails. Oh, the classic <laughs> over-flagged inbox. Yeah. <laughs> I have it all the time. Yeah. 
You've worked on some amazing projects, including last year's huge hit, Feminists Don't Wear Pink, which we'll get onto in a bit. But before that, can you give us a brief overview of how you got to where you are now? Well, I came into publishing after a failed stint in the law that lasted four days at an unpaid internship. Uh, And then I managed to get some work experience at a publishing house, Random House actually, um, before the merger. And I literally couldn't believe it was a real job. Mm. Uh, It was so fun. And the best thing about publishing, everyone will tell you, is the people. Um, And then it was back in the day of unpaid internships. And this was 2012. 12 uh, and um, kind of calling in favours and all of the worst things about the industry that are now I think changing for the better it's Mm -hmm. been a really interesting transformation actually and so I kind of get some work experience and then because it's such a small industry I try and befriend somebody there who could recommend me to their friend at another place and I did a lot of making tea which I was really bad at and um Why were you bad at it? I just didn't really start drinking caffeinated drinks until I was about 25. um, Because I'm (laughs) your teeth must be quite good. I'm an I'm an infant, um, (laughs) and so uh, yeah, I made the worst pot of coffee ever for a meeting um, for someone who did eventually hire me. Who, when I gave the author the coffee, he literally spat it out. (laughs) Oh, on gosh. the page proofs and they had to <laughs> they had to reprint them. That is bad. <laughs> oh, gosh, that is very bad. Yeah. So you know, everyone makes mistakes. But but you stayed in. I stayed in mm. it. I, I kept my head down. <laughs> I started working at a publisher called Headline and I worked on their commercial nonfiction list as mm. an editorial assistant, which I absolutely loved and it was a really great way into the industry. So I worked on a really wide range of books as an assistant, helping to just put the books together. So that was celebrity autobiography, narrative nonfiction, cookery books, diet books. Um, I've never cooked from a recipe in my life. Uh, but it was all really great experience and really good fun and then I bought a book when I was when I was still an assistant and that was sort of the rise of the kind of social media publishing movement when books by people that most grown-ups and people in the book industry had never heard of Mm. started coming out and selling huge numbers in their first weeks um breaking all records and so because I was about 24 and had a sister who was about 16 Mm. I knew a bit about this and I brought that to the table and I started publishing my own titles Mm -hmm. Um, and I got kind of nerdily obsessed with it and um, the best publisher at it was Puffin which was Penguin Random House Children's Mm -hmm. because they bought um, Zoe Sugg, Zoella's first novel which I think nobody expected to be such a huge hit probably apart from Zoe's team Mm. uh, because they knew the kind of numbers that they were talking but her novel came out and it sold something like 70,000 copies in three days and broke you know every record going Um, and so the opportunity came up for me to move to Puffin and I did I moved there in 2016 so it'll be three years ago this summer and now I work on both fiction and non-fiction. Mm-hmm. I'm, the area of the market I'm really, really interested in is this kind of new one, which has always existed, but never really in commercial book terms, um, mm, yeah. which is a kind of 16 to 24-year-old demographic because those are the people I'm interested in talking to with yeah. my books. Amazing. Taking us back a little bit, you said um, when you were talking about the your first time you came to the table with an idea. Yeah. That must have been quite an overwhelming thing to do and especially kind of being in Penguin which is such an established 
organisation? Like, how did you have the confidence to put an idea forward, especially when you were kind of fresh to the industry? Um, well, that was a headline, and headline had a really great, as does Penguin, a very great collaborative atmosphere which is kind of no matter your age or rank or whatever brings stuff to the table but yeah it was fucking terrifying and um I think that buying your first book uh if if anybody listening to this does want to go into publishing nobody hates a book more than the person who's just bought it (laughs) and is terrified that they've just lost the company a lot of money Mm -hmm. and once you've been through that process a couple of times and it's either worked or not worked you know, it's part of the job and you know how to do it. But it is scary. You know what's interesting about bringing in, like, Zoella as an example? It's a bit like crossing over two industries. So it's like Mm. publishing world, meet the internet. Yeah. The internet, meet publishing world. Mm. And seeing kind of how those two get on. Yeah, that is actually the most interesting part of my job because now I try to publish books where I can, especially the ones that are kind of, ideas that we have in the office that have a kind of life beyond just being a book Mm. because if a story is strong or if uh, an idea will resonate a good way to test that is to see whether it could translate into a podcast or telly or whatever it might be an instagram channel Mm. it's really interesting to hear about how publishing is moving forward Mm. and adapting to basically the demographic because these influencers have huge numbers and you can't ignore that. Mm. Yeah. Although, interestingly, now just having a huge following doesn't translate into book sales. Yeah, so actually what really matters is the book itself. And quick question, um, how can you tell, and I presume it's probably a bit from experience as well, that you've got something that's going to sell and that's going to fly? Mm. Is it like the influencer and is it the kind of time is it like the kind of cultural thing or what is it well whenever you're buying a book you're placing a bet and so you can look back on the ones that worked and think i am a genius i knew exactly what i was doing (laughs) (laughs) you have as many misses as you do hits um and i think that what it comes down to when if you are an editor and you get a book on submission from an agent if it really resonates with you it's just pure gut instinct and just even if you don't have that for a project it doesn't mean another editor at say HarperCollins isn't going to buy it and make a huge success of it but I think as you buy more books you sort of refine what works for you and it's kind of intangible Mm. um which sounds quite wanky (coughs) considering some of the uh, (laughs) some of the projects I work on which aren't you know they're not all very highbrow or anything Mm. it's just about can you can you see what the point of this is basically because Mm. nobody until they've written a book understands quite how much work it is Mm. yeah for sure it's encouraging to hear you talk about these kind of big companies like um I've forgotten the name of that is Headline did Mm -hmm. you say that's part of Hashat yeah right and um, Penguin, like, taking risks? Because I think sometimes publishing is seen as being quite elitist. Yeah. And did you have any preconceptions about publishing before you went in? And how was that different? Or were they reaffirmed? Uh, Yes, they were reaffirmed. It is elitist. Um, It's, you know, like any industry, it has undergone massive change in the past few years. And there is still so much more to do in terms of who works there Mm. and the diversity of the staff. So going back, well back, mm-hmm. um, can you remember that the, what the first book was that you worked on? 
Oh, my God. Probably if you asked any other editor, they would be able to remember. But, uh, <laughs> so it says more about me that I can't. I think it might have been Kimberly Walsh from Girls Aloud's autobiography. Amazing. Stop it. <laughs> Was she the redhead? No, no, no. No, no, that's, no, that's Nicola. That Come is on. Nicola. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, guys. That's I'm storming out. Come on. Oh, I got all <laughs> excited there because I really like her. My, one, of, one of my bosses um, was publishing it and I worked on it as an assistant and I thought I was so cool. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. What was it about? It was about her story, her rise to the top. She, you know, Girls Aloud came from pop stars The Rivals. Um, oh, they school. did, lest we forget. They and I watched that when I was about 10 or something. So wow. It was great to hear all the behind-the-scenes <laughs> behind goss. <laughs> and do you remember the first book growing up that you loved or the first book that had an impact on you? I remember the first book I ever read was um, Enid Blyton, um, Five on Treasure Island. Oh, <gasps> I know the one. first book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I remember going into my mum and dad's room at like five in the morning and telling them and I I finished it and they were like, please go away. Oh, um, that's really sweet. Yeah. <laughs> were you one of those kids who stayed up all night like with a torch reading? Yeah. Like in the duvet tent? Yeah. <laughs> and my brother and I, uh, who were very close in age, um, we're about 18 months apart, we used to be really competitive with reading. And so we would just try and... Um, it's so lame. <laughs> I mean, it's cool. Obviously, reading is cool, kids. But um, we would, like, race each other in long books. So we would find the longest book we could on our parents' shelves and read it and obviously not understand what it was at all. Like, I think probably maybe the fourth book I read was It by Stephen King, oh which is terrifying. But I didn't take any of it in because it was just about, you know... It was just winning. Yeah. <laughs> just about good old fashioned sibling rivalry. <laughs> and then I was um, obsessed and still am with Harry Potter. So, getting onto Feminists Don't Wear Pink, which I love, and I was really lucky to do a little bit of work with you on it last year. Feminism, obviously, huge topic, often seen as quite academic. Mm -hmm. Was it quite a struggle to get people on board, or how did people react when you first? put out the idea I work for a, an entirely female team which is another thing about publishing is that it's like I don't know I mean my team is genuinely like 85% female ah. uh, and so when I pitched it I, I don't really know what they thought about it <laughs> I think that they appreciated it that it was something we should be doing um, and that there had been a couple of books that had really worked about feminism that young people were responding to. I mean, Catelyn Moran had been about 10 years earlier mm. um, and then there was kind of a growing zeitgeist. Uh, I pitched it after Donald Trump won the election, actually. and Interesting timing. Yeah, and I felt like the kind of teen reaction to political events in 2016 was amazing and I personally wasn't necessarily giving them the tools they needed with the books I was publishing yeah. but I really wanted to publish something that was I mean it's sort of a truism and it's not about making feminism cool or anything it's just a safe space for people to talk about what it means to them and we pitched it as kind of the middle point between the hashtag and the academic textbook. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so 
Penguin, uh, my bosses were really supportive of us taking a chance on it. And actually it grew into something really not what we were expecting. Mm. Yeah. And it's uh, for anyone who hasn't read it, it's magnificent and I love it. And it really is that kind of sweet spot. Because I remember I had a book at home called Fifty Shades of Feminism, which is a yeah. similar kind. It's kind of in a similar space, yeah, but definitely. much more academic. And I yeah. kind of would pick it up for a bit and then I'd be like, oh, it's too much. I can't yeah, read it Yeah, it's like right Roxanne Gay as well. Like, I love yeah. that book, but I also know that maybe if I was 13, I wouldn't love that book. No, exactly. I would never have bought it then. I can't kind of binge it or like go through it in a day. Well, not in a day, but I can't kind of read it for a long period of time, which I can for this. Um, but did the reaction to the book, which has exploded and become a bestseller and like I see loads of people with it on the tube and loads of young people love it and quote it, has that uh, surprised you or did you kind of, because you knew your audience, kind of feel like that? would be the reaction? No, we didn't think it would be the reaction. I mean, obviously, we hoped it would. So the book is an anthology. It's a collection of writing about feminism by 52 different women. You know, the writers in the book, some of them are massive celebs like Kira Knightley and Emma Watson, and some of them are teen activists. And they all did it for a charity. The royalties of the book go to Girl Up, which is a UN organisation. And we published it on what's known in the industry as Super Thursday, which is um, a Thursday in uh, the autumn when publishers put out their biggest Christmas books. So we were up against like Gary Barlow and people like that, you Mm. know. So we really weren't expecting to make... I mean, maybe we were by the end. I don't know. But we were just so obsessed with it for a year. I've never worked on anything like it and I never will again. Mm. And everything about it just became this kind of mammoth task but I think it was worth it in the end yeah mm, definitely sure. uh, and there seems to be a movement at looking into more kind of serious subject matters um, in teen fiction like 13 Reasons Why uh, do you think that any topic is too big for a younger audience to kind of engage with uh, no I think if it's handled the right way then no and that's where that's what we're here to do we're here to be the people to shape um, you know, somebody else's brilliant idea with a kind of conduit between that and, and the market and quite mm. often the people we're publishing to are parents and that's like the most, that's the cornerstone of our list really. It's, I guess, social responsibility but in mm. not a boring way. Yeah. yeah. Did you see um, in the news today Netflix have edited 13 Reasons Why? Yeah. Yeah, they've taken out the ending of it mm. which I thought was interesting. Really interesting. It, it, yeah. I think with TV you're always going to have the delicacy especially with 13 reasons why which i actually haven't seen but i've seen trailers mm. and it looks very highly polished and well produced that any delicate subject matter you put in that space it's going to come off as being glamorized yeah but it's interesting what you were saying about social responsibility um and i suppose with these projects this is going back to i suppose the 16 to 24 year old thing because mm. it is for it's for the parents and it's for the children as well there's no reason my mum can't read Feminists Don't Wear Pink and enjoy it. Mm. So it's got to fly with like a lot of people, even though you are marketing it and creating it for that sweet spot. Yeah, and some of the essays in it are really rude. And um, I know, mom, I read one today. My mum found it rude. <laughs> uh, it's always the go-to, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> what does the mum think? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and... Scarlett Curtis, who's the curator, uh, always makes fun of me because I'm a massive prude. (laughs) And actually publishing this book has massively helped me in that respect. (laughs) I had to go in to work and talk about, you know, I've got this amazing essay by Grace Campbell on wanking. And uh, it was, you know... Read it today. It's very good. It's very good. good. Yeah, I love that one. (laughs) Yeah. 
And yeah, I don't know. Um, It was a personal journey for me as well. But I think you're right about kind of when you look at the reaction to Trump and when you look at things that are happening like with um, Extinction Rebellion and stuff, so many of those are young people who've like taken the day of work and are actually much braver than maybe some older people mm. and kind of maybe we shouldn't, maybe it's quite patronising to kind of... Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no way to talk about it without sounding patronising, but yeah. I think teenagers today are amazing. <laughs> and uh, I go into schools and talk to kids and um, whenever one of my authors has a signing and... I go to it and I think it's so interesting how they are portrayed in the media compared to how so many of them are in terms of their very sophisticated political views, Mm. reading tastes and the huge amount of responsibility that they have in clearing up this complete mess. And I feel like quite lucky to be able to publish books for them. Mm. Mm. It's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. So you've spoken about feeling unsure about what to do after university, which I think we can definitely all relate to. Um, Can you talk to us a bit about that time? Um, It is really terrifying and I don't think you ever stop second guessing that maybe you didn't try everything out and maybe there's another industry that's for you. But I think that um, if you're enjoying something now, that's really good. If you feel like you have a voice that's being heard in your workplace, that's really important and we're all going to retire when we're kind of 906 or something so there's plenty of time to try lots of different careers and lots of industries are starting to overlap now especially in the arts Mm. yeah for sure that's a nice way to look at it to kind of see it as and take a chance on doing lots of different things yeah in feminists don't wear pink Saoirse Ronan says that when it comes to work the important things are and she lists them out but the two things that kind of resonated with me were knowing what you want Mm -hmm. and caring about it Um, How did you find out what you wanted and is that still ongoing? Yeah, I think it definitely is. I don't think you should have it figured out by Mm. our age anyway, should you? Yeah. If you kind of know exactly what you want to do and how you want to do it when you're 28, what's the point of... Mm. I mean, everything is always changing and I think it's good to get... It's good to be in a position where you do care about what you're doing and I feel really lucky to be in that. Mm. But I'd be lying if I said there wasn't days when I'm just, you know bit tired and (laughs) you know I don't know if the perfect job does exist and I think that can be quite disheartening for for people when they're choosing a career as well. Mm. Can you see yourself ever in the future changing career or do you feel very kind of stuck to publishing not stuck stuck's the wrong word set? Um, So I've got this role at Penguin that means that I can do stuff it's not just book related Mm. for example for feminists because we own all of the intellectual property for it we have been doing lots of different things we did some merchandise when the book came out to raise money for the charity um and we did a podcast and we are trying to do tv stuff with it and i'm doing that on a few of my projects now so what's been really great about pursuing this is that it's opened up a lot of different avenues for me to explore Mm. and I think if you have ownership of a project and you have good managers they let you explore different things you can do and so I actually don't feel limited just to books in my job even though I'll always want them to be the heart of what I do Mm. yeah what's the podcast 
We did a podcast for Feminists Don't Wear Pink. Check it out. Mm. Uh, it's which a fab podcast. It is a fab, a fab podcast. podcast. Well, I, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, where Scarlett, for the first series, interviewed different contributors from the book. And then in the second series, interviewed different women about feminism. So it's, re- it's really fun that we've been able to carry it on, you know, nearly a year after publication. That's really nice, isn't it? Because sometimes when I'm working on a TV show and the final episode drops... It's a bit like, oh, now what? Like we've put so much work into this. Yeah. That having that like extension of something, especially where you've been so involved in it from the word go. Yeah. Like if you've pitched it in and it's got that kind of lifespan. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I had sleepless nights over it. Um, and I sort of miss that in a way, but also <laughs> glad those days are gone. Um, yeah. But a, a books are really permanent. And, you know, sometimes it might feel like, you're focusing on one around publication, then you quickly move on to another. But actually, readers are still coming to it yeah, all the time. Mm-hmm. And how do you ensure that that happens? Is that kind of what the other bits of your job entails? Like, Is the, is the motivation behind doing merch and podcasts so that that book can have that lifespan that lasts a bit longer than just the launch? Yeah, it is. And that's just a very specific case with this book. But also... We have a lot of massive brands at Puffin where I work. You know, one of our biggest authors is obviously Roald Dahl and he died quite some time ago. And it's important to us to keep those books getting the readership they deserve. And so we do a lot of work on all sorts of titles. Mm. Uh, We're at an advantage as a kids publisher because people are becoming children all the time. (laughs) And new ones ones just won't stop coming. Um, And they... Uh, the really good books don't age. Mm. Taking us back a little bit to um, like the pressures you felt when you were starting out, do you think there are any new pressures that young people face when they're entering work today? Or do you think that kind of, kind of those things have stayed the same? I think that it's always quite difficult going into the working world. But I hope that publishing is quite a supportive place. And what I will say is one of my biggest tips is that if anybody ever reaches out to me on Twitter or emails me, because all of our email addresses are the same, Mm. um, then I'd always reply. And I think all of my colleagues would as well. And I think that one of the keys to starting a job is asking for what you want Mm. and being really open about it. So if you need support, just asking for it. Um, even if we don't work together yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and what role would you say that social media plays in your job? Social media is really important and it is a very good way of measuring how many people are talking about your book and it's a very good way of amplifying the noise that you have around a book that you're publishing. But it is not, for me, the be-all and end-all. You know, I'm not in the marketing team, so I can't speak for them. But some of the biggest authors in the world do not have a Twitter account, Mm. and they are fine. And then what role does social media play in terms of kind of your career progression and maybe for, like, young people who are entering the industry or something like that? Because Flo and I have spoken quite a lot about um, how when you, like, pop onto Instagram and you feel shit because you haven't been on four holidays that year Mm. and you Mm. haven't just been able to buy a car. Yeah, mm. or you haven't, you know, someone you haven't made your own film and then you, you actually strip that back and those people aren't really doing what they seem yeah. to be doing. Yeah, and I think that's a quite a huge pressure for people entering any field of work. Yeah, I th- I'm sure it is. I am one of those um, 
social media ghosts. I don't really post anything and I obsessively <laughs> stalk other people. And I don't really... I noticed that from doing my research. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so rubbish. Not and I'll be just, too creepy. Yeah, yeah. I'll just retweet Waterstones and, that, and that's it for the year. Uh, <laughs> Waterstones, shout out, Waterstones Tottenham Court Road have a hysterical Twitter account. Yes, <laughs> lots of them do. Yeah, they have stuff a like fight that. with Uxbridge. Waterstones. Saying what though? <laughs> like stuff about books. It's very yeah. funny. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take some tips from Waterstones. <laughs> I mean, social media is weird and there's lots to be said for it and there's lots to be said against it. But for me, for work, it has been an invaluable tool in terms mm-hmm. of discovering new talent. And I think that I've contested with a lot of people in my workplace who have been like, you know, the YouTuber publishing thing is done now and we'll all just get back to life as normal and blah, blah, blah. But I think that if you're young and creative, the internet is obviously where you're going to go to hone your skills mm. and to get an audience. And I don't think that we should be dismissive of people just because they're doing that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. What book do you wish you'd read when you were younger? That's kind of inspired you. Um, have you read Michelle Obama's autobiography? Oh, I have, yeah. It's yeah. so good. Though I'm going to be really honest and say that. <laughs> I flicked through it to just find out the bit where she met Obama and I just reread that bit a few times. It's I know really that's good. really awful. I know it's like her career's been yeah. amazing. So Yeah, obviously, I, I, <laughs> I wish I'd read that when I was younger so that I could have worked out how to marry a president. And then, <laughs> no, I mean, her career is incredibly impressive. Yeah. But I think the whole world around that book was really cool. Like I've heard tour of um, going around and, and this previously kind of untouchable figurehead Mm. actually being just really approachable and like you know go to college and speak your mind in the workplace and stuff I think all of that stuff that obviously Michelle Obama is leading in a big way but is happening in general is amazing Mm. yeah and what advice could you give or would you give to young people who feel that they're a bit like lost and trying to kind of look for direction I would say stay busy Mm. because if you don't that's really dispiriting Mm. And chill out because you're 22. Yeah, stay <laughs> busy is a really good piece of advice, actually. Yeah, cause... when I was trying to get into publishing and I when and I was kind of doing internships for two weeks and earning no money and really stressing out, I got temp work and I worked in bars and just having like money coming in, even if it wasn't what I wanted to be doing, mm. was really important. Yeah. And chill out, I think, is really important as well. I remember... I, um, when I was working as a waitress, when I quit teaching and I was a waitress for a year to kind of like work out what I wanted to do, now I look back on that and I had such a lovely time as a waitress. But mm. at the time I was so stressed and I was like, why haven't I got all these things? And everyone mm. else has got their career. Yeah, and that's that about lovely. comparing yourself to people, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. But it doesn't matter at all because there's, I think being a waitress is a lot more difficult than my job. And yeah. I so actually can't do it because I'm so clumsy. <laughs> I was actually been told fired I was the worst that. waitress they'd ever had. Yeah, I got fired from that so many times. <laughs> <laughs> I was an amazing waitress. I could oh, carry yeah. so many plates. <laughs> That's amazing. Show up. <laughs> That's so cool. Thank you. Thank you very much. looking forward now what would be your dream project to work on I think that you can't really predict what author you're going to work with and what the book is going to be about I think that I want to work on something else like feminist that doesn't look like it or even read like it but Mm. is is um is of its moment and that was really exciting um it ended up becoming like a national news story because of our Topshop partnership 
being dismantled on the day it opened. And it was just really interesting. It was like intellectually interesting to work on that book. Mm. Um, and that is a privilege. And I think it's completely changed the way I look at what I do. Yeah. So working on something that I suppose feels like you're making a change wherever it may be. Yeah, and it makes me sound like such a dick. I know that. Um, but I think that taking yourself seriously is something that you're never really told to do, especially maybe as a girl. Yeah. Mm, and sure. actually, when I accidentally did it once, I realised that it's mm. quite an interesting thing to do with your day. That's definitely something that is a different experience for women and men. I think men go into work taking themselves much more seriously. Mm. My default is to make fun of myself yeah. all the yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen this kind of Instagram thing about like things that you should take out of emails, especially maybe more women do it than men. Mm. But I always say just in my email. I always say sorry in my email. I always make a joke and I always put exclamation marks and they just come right, read so unseriously. Mm. I'm yeah. stopping. Yeah, it's like when somebody email. doesn't send you an attachment and they've just forgotten to put it on and mm. you reply saying, I'm so sorry, I can't find the attachment. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you taking that emotional burden? Why are you I mean, I'll never stop doing it. But... Um, and looking back on your career as it is now, what advice would you give to your younger self? Um, it's always better to ask for forgiveness than permission. I mean, obviously, because I'm a publisher and I'm not a doctor, but um, <laughs> if it's life or death, don't do that. But when it comes to an idea or something that you're really passionate about, if you can make it happen, people will come with you. And if you can't, then it's not meant to be. But if you spend a lot of time asking people sign off before you can do anything, it just slows the whole thing down. Mm. That's very true. I like that advice. It's probably good that you didn't do law. Yeah, it's really good that I didn't do anything else. I mean, there really couldn't be anything lower stakes than children's books. So I should probably stay safely here. Yeah. I just want to ask, do you have a favourite bit in Feminist Don't Wear Pink? Oh, God, I haven't read it in ages. <laughs> uh, yes, I do. Actually, one of my favourite pieces is by Zoe Sugg, which is about who's Zoella, about running a business. And it's really cool because she's a makeup vlogger, but people don't realise she's also got 20 million people following her every move yeah. and she runs a hugely successful business. And I think that's really cool and practical. Nice. Um, and I also really like the Bridget Jones short story. Oh, yeah, that's I love That's clever. It. That's a really yeah. clever bit. It's really smart. Mm. And I can't believe she wrote it. It's amazing. But all of them are great. Um, and uh, Scarlet's pieces are all amazing. And everybody has their favourites, which is, I guess, yeah. the point of it. Yeah, really definitely. Lovely. Awesome. Thank you, Holly. Yeah, amazing conversation. Thank you so much. No, oh, thank you for having me. Oh, that was a nice chat, wasn't it? That was a lovely chat. Holly's so nice. Yeah, she's a great, cool person. And what a cool job. Yeah, I find it really interesting how publishing and the internet have kind of been introduced to each other. And the product of that is Feminist Don't Wear Pink. I yeah. think that's really cool. And it kind of touches that sweet spot of what Holly said earlier about feminism being academic, but also like a hashtag mm. and finding the space between the two. Yeah, and it's really funny. Do you want to hear a joke? Oh, I'd love to hear a joke. Knock, knock. Who's there? Annie. Annie who? Anything you can do, I can do for 18.4% less pay. Hey, topical, topical. <laughs> <laughs> what did you take away from this episode? Um, I loved it when she was talking about how 
as a woman, you should take yourself more seriously at work. And the first time she felt that she took herself seriously was the most amazing project she's ever worked on. And that's actually something, one of my favourite parts of the book, which I'm going to find, which is an extract from Olivia Perez's essay, which says, step up to the spotlight, not just an example for others, but for yourself. Take every opportunity, challenge and risk that comes your way without questioning your worth ability or place as a woman and once you find your light don't be afraid to be a little unruly which I think is just fantastic advice and I think it's not you shouldn't be afraid to take your job and yourself seriously and you shouldn't put yourself down which I think a lot of women do in definitely the tune in next week for another fantastic episode and we will be in your ears then bye bye So if you like the podcast, follow us at How Do You Do Pod on Twitter and Instagram and leave a review. And like and subscribe. Always like and subscribe because it's apparently a big thing. Yeah, yeah, do that. <laughs>